0: Please sit comfortably. The title of um, this talk tonight is simply Joy or Joyful Mind. When I think back on um, the practice I did with uh, Joko, my teacher, um, most of her talks were kind of tough talks, um, tough love talks and uh, about about practising.
1: But every now and
0: then, she would give a talk on what the fruits of practice are. And uh, my punch is she didn't do that all the time. She just did it occasionally because she didn't want um, people to be chasing joy or chasing happiness, um, which is a a self-defeating type of um, way of approaching Zen practice. But nevertheless, um, there wouldn't be any point in doing practice or taking up Zen practice or committing to it if we didn't have a trust or a faith that joy would evolve out of what we do. And it is a matter of faith. You either have a faith the joy is something that can be experienced, or you don't. Just like maybe other religious people have a have faith in God, um, I think Dharma people have a faith that joy can be experienced in life, and it's not something which is opposed to suffering. Um, there is still suffering in the world, and joy which sit side by side, but what evolves out of practice is that suffering may still be there. Of course it's still there um, because we're human. Um, but what occurs is some kind of transformation in the, in the suffering, as the Heart Sutra tells us. Trans- you transform suffering. And when it's transformed and you see into the, the emptiness of it, the groundlessness of it, and it's just something momentary that comes and goes, well, it's there, but it's empty. And when it's experienced as empty, there's a lightness of being, mm-hmm. and the joy trans—the joy arises out of that. Now, <clears throat> um, people can chase happiness and chase joy, but also people can have the opposite problem and cut it off. Um, and think that Dharma practice is all about suffering, suffering, suffering. And their practice becomes simply a form of Stoicism. Um, Being able to endure difficulty and pain. And there's no lightness of being about it at all. So they're the the twin problems that can occur. Chasing it and just simply um, creating a Stoic approach to practice as well. And neither of those are useful. But the kind of joy that we're talking about in Zen practice is what I would describe as organic joy. So it's not like something that comes out of positive thinking or affirmations. It's not out of the head. It's just something that bubbles up from within. And I know this is a very bad metaphor, but but it's the best I can do at the moment. Do you know, like the champagne bottles? Do you know the the sort of symbolism of champagne? is that you, you undo the, the cork and all these bubbles come out and it, you know it's a, a joyful celebration with all the bubbles coming out. Well, it, in some ways it's a good metaphor for the organic nature of joy because it's kind of a, it's not something you've got to construct, it's something which is there and there's something blocking it from being expressed and experienced. There's a cork in the bottle Stopping the bubbles coming out. And that's why a lot of Joko's teachings and practice was about the cork, right? Popping the cork out. Uh So you experience that organic arising of joy. Now, what blocks the joy? What blocks that organic experience of just being alive? Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, our old friends, fear and anger... Mm-hmm. Let's take fear at first. That might seem like it's a, an odd kind of blockage. But when we, when we experience joy, and particularly when we express joy, like through laughter, smiling, dancing, whatever, it requires a letting go and a letting go of control. Now, an interesting comment I heard on the news recently Um, I don't usually bring politics into this, but it's a useful example around Donald Trump. That his um, niece, Mary, who wrote the clinical psychologist, who wrote a book on him, posed the question, have you ever seen him laugh? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, has anyone... I can't remember ever seeing him laugh, you know, on, on, on television or anything, unless he's laughing at someone... Have you ever seen him have a good belly laugh, do you know? Um, that comes from control. People who can laugh, when you laugh you lose control, in a sense, in a good way, but you lose control. And you open, you know, like your whole body opens, but if you're wanting to control yourself and control other people, then you don't laugh, do you know? And you don't genuinely smile a natural smile either. So all of that stuff bubbles up when the fear of um, not being in control loosens up. The other blockage to joy is anger, and anger can come through in certain kind of attitudes like cynicism, um, pessimism can have that flavour to it as well. It's, it's, it, with those kind of particularly cynical attitudes towards life, um, again, it's kind of fear-based in its origin, but it's like it, there's no no faith that joy could be genuine in the world, and it's kind of squashed out. So it's there organically, and as we practice, we we melt and we unfreeze, you know, and those blockages disappear. The Heart Sutra tells us that in many different ways. But when we look at what the nature of organic joy is, or we could call it causeless joy as well, it's not a joy that's necessarily dependent on the circumstances in your life, you know, favorable circumstances where you've won something or you've achieved something or someone's complimented you or validated you in some way, yes, those those forms of joy can exist. But the kind of joy which is cultivated through Zen practice, it's often referred to as causeless joy. And that kind of joy, it just comes from being alive. Like, there's life. I'm alive. And so when you look at it that way, and go back to the fundamentals of Dharma, the Dharma way of looking at the world, interbeing, interconnectedness is a source of joy. It is joy itself. And transience too is a source of joy if we see it in the right way. A lot of Buddhists see talk about transience and all they ever think of or experience is things passing away. Mm-hmm. Things pass away. You hear that in Buddhism all the time. Do you know things are passing away? Don't hold on to them. There's another side to it. Things are always arriving. There's always rebirth in each moment. That they go together. There's there's birth and there's death of the moment. There's a rising and passing away. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of life. But if you just see it in terms of things passing away, well. That would be only half of it, and it would be rather sad if that's the only way that you experience life. To use another metaphor, um, one of the most common metaphors we hear about optimism and, and pessimism in our contemporary culture, do you know people who see the glass half full and those who see the glass half empty? Well, a Dharma view of that is it's neither. Because if you really see into just the nature of life as it is, then the glass is completely full all the time and it's spilling over the top. Right? Because it's, there's the vibrancy of life in, in every moment. It's not about it being half full or half, half empty. It's that kind of experience, that fullness of experience, um, which arises out of it. Now. The challenge I'm going to give you. Not, not one for now, but something to reflect on. I was thinking of poems um, which describe joy, both from the point of view of interbeing and from the point of view of, of transience. And many of, many of you may be um, familiar with this one from um, William Blake, which I've um, used before. In expressing the nature of joy. He who holds himself to a joy does the winged life destroy, but he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Lovely poem. My challenge to everyone is see if you can find a poem or you might not want to even write one yourself. See if you can find a poem that expresses the joy of interbeing. This one expresses the joy of transience. See what you might come up with. Mm-hmm. <laughs>